Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Kenlett, and my co-host is Liz Gunchy. Hi, everyone. Liz and I are both super passionate about governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We're connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspectives on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is going. For this episode, we're talking with Laura Wanless, who is the head of global corporate governance and ESG advisory consulting at AOS. Laura and her team help companies achieve positive outcomes on proxy ballot items and advise management and directors on ESG issues, shareholder engagement, and balancing demands from regulators, shareholders, and other stakeholders. Welcome, Laura. Hey, thanks for having me today. Laura, thank you for being here. We're super excited to hear more about what you and your team at Aon are doing these days. So you created and continue to lead the corporate governance and ESG consulting groups at Aon. And I would love if you could just tell us about what led you down that path and how you went about building that business, where your team is today. And also, I hear that you have some exciting things planned for the upcoming year. So I was hoping you could share a little bit more about that. Sure. I'll I'll go ahead and do that. It's actually a funny path. At least I think it's funny. For most of us, you know, we don't necessarily grow up thinking we're going to be consultants, uh, whether that's exec comp or corporate governance. I was going to say ESG, but I actually do think there is a lot of young people that do think of it as a potential career from a young age, and that's actually a cool development. But uh, I joined Hewitt Associates right out of law school, and the timing was right before the financial crisis that preceded Dodd-Frank. And my observations at the time were I was lucky to have a job out of law school at a time where all of my friends either had their offers rescinded or delayed from big law. I joined at a time where client work seemed to have dissipated or decreased. And being the last one hired uh, with the lowest seniority, I quickly started to look around pretty desperately uh, for a way to stay busy. And I quickly noticed that the busiest person in the office consulted on equity compensation plan proposal recommendations Mm. for annual shareholders meetings, uh, and that that person didn't necessarily work with anyone else in the office. So I literally harassed this individual for months, um, offering to print proxies and plan documents for him, help with scheduling, anything and every single thing you could think of until he would give me a chance to just work on any project uh, and hopefully land. Yeah, just try to get my foot into the door. He, He finally did give me a chance, and it was such an eye-opening experience for me that basically paved the way um, for the corporate governance and ESG advisory team that exists at Aon right now. And and basically, I observed in the process of share requests just how many consultants and outsiders it took for a client to make a decision on one single proxy ballot item. Hmm. Uh, from, from comp consultants, you know, sometimes there's a management consultant and a committee consultant. There's a proxy solicitor. There's an outside governance consultant. If there's other contentious proxy-related items, and then outside counsel. And I thought back then and still do now, what if we found a way to provide all of these angles more holistically on this specific proxy topic and then others, and how it would really simplify the process for companies in a, in a, in a more economical way? So that's really what the team at Aon does right now and is structured to do. We basically provide in-depth proxy advisor, investor, legal and regulatory, and even market-based perspectives on any key decision related to corporate governance and ESG. 
And we try to curate these angles in a way that the C-suite and the board can make timely and informed decisions without necessarily having to seek the advice of a handful of consultants. Mm -hmm. still, a, still a place for others, not saying you shouldn't have others involved, but we do our best to think through all these angles uh, in our own recommendations. And I'm very fortunate, I'm in the fortunate place that some of the best names in the industry are part of my team. You know, I, I could name drop here with names all of you would recognize. Yeah, you have uh, a great team. Yeah, yeah. And, but honestly, all of them are so amazing. And I really feel lucky to be able to learn from them and collaborate with them because, you know, their diversity of backgrounds and perspectives, I think, is what's really positioning us to provide good advice to clients and, and be innovative. And in terms of additional areas of focus this year, we're trying to add a, digi a digital uh, based component to the types of advice that we provide to clients. Um, and that's all I'll right. say for now, but that's, that's, that's where we're heading. Hmm. So what I heard from your story when you said you sort of had a funny path, it's more entrepreneurial. When you said harassed, you weren't really, you just, you had a vision, which was great. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's funny. I, I feel like I was acting out of desperation to feel <laughs> like I, I made a good choice in moving myself to Chicago, um, you know, out of law school, but <laughs> But honestly, once I got my foot in the door and I just focused on how I could make an impact, it, it did provide a, a path to entrepreneurship for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Has there been anything that surprised you as you've progressed in your career? There's obviously a lot of things probably that have surprised me, but one thing that really surprised me and continues to surprise me that might be more obvious to others is that this idea that being caught up at work is illusory to some degree, um, right? And right. It's, yeah, it's it's um, it's ultimately why you have to choose to make a life outside of work because this idea that if you just make it through this next project or this next initiative and then things will lighten up isn't really how the world or the market works. So that's my biggest eye-opening takeaway in, in career progression right now. There's always going to be another project. There's always going to be another initiative. So it's really important that you make the most um, of your life at work by being present at the task at hand and then outside of work, you know, being present with those you love and those that love you back. And it's something I have to keep reminding myself of as I progress in my career. I think everybody does have to keep reminding themselves of that. Yeah, it is funny. It's, it must be a human nature thing where we just get caught up in the moment and we're looking so far in the future that we forget to uh, execute on the now. Yeah. Well, and especially for someone like you and uh, Laura and like you, Courtney, you know, we're, we're all pretty ambitious people and we do have yeah. a vision of where we want our careers to go. And we've spent so many years um, just always driving towards that next goal career-wise yeah. that it can be a little bit hard to break that habit, even a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true and it's that pause or that... Um you know, that, that balance that probably gives you the clarity of thought you need right, <laughs> to, to be, right. to be innovative and give good advice, but it's, it's the easiest to sacrifice in the moment. Yep, exactly. Well, that's a good segue to my next question because recognizing how to balance those different demands is probably part of what you do in your, in your managerial capacity. And I know that you wear a few different hats at Aon. You, you manage your team, but you also still consult with clients. So tell us all about what your role entails and whether you have a favorite or a least favorite part. Yeah, that's, 
it's kind of funny when I get to the least favorite, but um, <laughs> I, I spend a, a meaningful amount of time on both client work and on business management. Um, you know, as we grow in size, I'm trying to learn to be a better delegator in how to you know, focus on growing talent and trying to build infrastructure, you know, mm-hmm. to keep and motivate the team to be able to execute. But honestly, my favorite part of the job is really interacting with clients and with all of you, like the broader governance community yeah. on emerging topics. Like, I love it. I love this subject just like you all do. And I feel the best when I'm collaborating with the team on, on client engagements. But the least favorite part of my job is is taking the time to summarize business results in my business plan into corporate approved PowerPoint templates <laughs> for, for, <laughs> right. for, for, for greater Aon. Um, you know, it's an important and necessary part of the job, but sometimes the necessary parts aren't really the most fun. I hear you. No, but I would imagine it would give you time to reflect on the work that you did in that, you know, last year, last quarter. Amazing things you've been able to do with clients and the broader governance community. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's important to do the least favorite part of the job because part of it is being an effective advocate for the team, you know, yeah. giving credit for all of the things that we're, we're doing. And so I'm partially making fun of myself because I think I lack the PowerPoint template skills. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's kind of what we talk about when we talk to clients about disclosure. It's like, how can you be concise but influential? Right. How can you make the point to people who don't really understand what you do? And right. that's hard. Yeah, there is some carryover there. I know for me, I sometimes find it more difficult to talk internally about what our team does here at the corporate council and our and our other sites and explain that to people who aren't really in the corporate governance and ESG space as compared to our, our broader community. It's very easy to say what we do and what type of resources we have. But when you're putting those PowerPoints together, like Courtney said, you can reflect, but it probably also gives you that pause that you were talking about to think strategically about what's coming next. So yeah, I guess it may not be fun, but it probably is worthwhile. It's, it's definitely worthwhile. And, it, and it's that pausing, you know, to look back before you look forward that we mm-hmm. just talked about as well. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm going to switch gears for just a second because one of the really interesting things about this podcast is that we learn more about people's passions outside of just governance. And you've competed four times in the Rebel Rally, including a very impressive third place finish this past year. Paint us a picture of what the Rebel Rally is and what it means to you. Sure. Um, You know, it's hard for me not to sound cheesy or probably like emotional (laughs) about this event, but it really has taught me a lot about being part of a community, being a better teammate, being a better manager, and, and really learning from, from failure to learn how to win. And as women, I think a lot of us don't want to start things or do things unless we can do them perfectly from the start. Mm-hmm. And in this competition, you can't actually be good at it without jumping in and competing a time or two. So there's no amount of time there's no amount of study or practice that can really simulate or prepare you to be able to win. And I think it's true in life and business too, right? So meaning if we are, if we're, if we are waiting for the perfect time or expecting to win all the time, we're probably not going to be happy or successful. So I, I see a lot of like parallels to putting yourself out there in this competition and actually putting yourself out there to start a business or be entrepreneurial. It's, it's risky, right? So yeah. Specific to the rally itself, because I, I get all philosophical, is, you know, logistically, the competition is eight days, seven of which are scored. 
but I take a few days off before the competition so I can transition my mind from a predominant work focus to being present in the competition, which in a beautiful way means two weeks of no phone, two weeks of no emails, and two, two weeks of no Zoom calls. And the way it works is that teams of two consisting of a navigator and a driver are given a set of latitudes and longitudes every day at 5 a.m. <laughs> you're, so you're half wow. asleep. And we have to plot them onto paper maps with rulers and create a plan for how to navigate to these points with only our paper map and compasses within a 10 to 11 hour time frame. Wow. And yeah, there's checked, there's, there's marked and unmarked checkpoints and the teams that find the most checkpoints and score the highest over that time period ultimately make it to the podium. And the kicker is, is it's an endurance event because anybody can be good for a day but the hard part is being consistent over the whole week and not letting one bad day bring you down. So, um, again, a lot of parallels to this competition and being resilient in life. And I ultimately wish I could make all of you do this competition, um, <laughs> you know, just so you could see how capable, you know, you all are, all are as leaders and explorers and problem solvers. But it really is a transformative experience. And it sounds like it really fosters focus, too, because you have to focus on the task and what's in front of you on the road every day for those eight days. Yeah, and, and it's funny, like, your perspective shifts if you do it a few times, because the first time, you know, we all you go into the event, and you're somebody who's probably successful in life to some degree, and you go into this event thinking, I'm, I'm great, I'm going to do awesome, not realizing that it's super hard and you don't know anything. And, and it's like a humble pie experience, you know? And so yeah. then you go back. And, yeah, and, it, and it's hard, and some people don't come back. But others are like, okay, it was hard. What can I learn? What can I do better next time? But, but this last time, I think I was ultimately able to get onto the podium just because I was way more focused in terms of being present, like we're talking about. Um, and, you know, I got over we, – we, I was able to get over some of the mistakes and, and not care if someone – externally you know was seeing me make a mistake like I literally just was thinking about my teammate and myself and it was pretty cool don't you have to handle breakdowns and mechanical failures and things like that too yeah I mean my my third year my jeep like died (laughs) so like I had a brand new jeep it died I had to like change the fuses um and I learned you know in that third year like I need to know everything about my vehicle so that if it breaks down I can do things and I mean, that's the other cool part is, you know, automotive events typically are dominated by by men. And here you have a bunch of really capable, competent women putting themselves out there in an automotive competition. And by default, everybody becomes better um, as a competitor, but also just better with their cars. Yeah. And um, that's neat. It's like, I feel like if I've stopped on the side of the road to help people change their tires now. I don't think I would have done that four years ago. Yeah, right? like I, I can do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you camp during those yeah. seven or eight nights? Interesting. Yeah, we, you camp in a tent. I mean, it's not all um, primitive in that we have Drew Deckman, who is a Michelin star chef. He cooks oh. dinner for us every night. Oh, yeah. Hey. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta you gotta Sounding have good food now. and fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and the women are just great. They're from all walks of life. I mean, the 
the woman who started the rebel is very inspirational, but all of her staff is too. They're all super accomplished people, men and women, and they just encourage you. I mean, it's just it's just a neat event. And funny thing is, I even have clients that participate in it. So that that's wow. kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I get to I get to see them in this forum as well. That's so cool. So what advice would you give to our listeners about starting or maintaining a hobby, even if it's not the Rebel Rally? Yeah. By any hobby, especially as a lot of people are kind of, well, let's be honest, people are struggling right now with um, increasing professional and personal demands. And a lot of people are closely examining how they're spending their time and energy. So maybe this is the time to start something new. Yeah, I mean, I'm as obsessed about corporate governance as the both of you, and I do work crazy hours, but, you know, I I really recognize, and I think we all should recognize that we are more than just our jobs or more than what we contribute to this topic. And for people caught up in a rut in terms of work-life balance, I always say, go back to what you loved when you were younger. Did you paint? Did you Mm -hmm. run road races? Did you hike? You know, we have to stop being we don't have to stop being fun just because we have families or jobs. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'd argue, you know, we will be better in life and work if you do have other purposes outside of work. So, you know, I personally set goals outside of work and treat them just as seriously as I would in terms of setting and following through on, on a work goal. And for me, it's training for the rebel and then spending Saturdays, no matter what, you know, with my husband and daughter on our own or on our own adventures or even just relaxing. And, um, I really think a lot about this topic in particular because I developed rheumatoid arthritis after my daughter was born, and I just realized how much I had taken for granted being healthy. So I definitely think all of you should have a hobby, and all of you should enjoy things while you can. Well, it's great that your daughter still wants to hang out with you on Saturday nights. I think I've lost mine as a, oh. as a 15-year-old now. Um, yeah, yeah, my daughter's 10, so maybe that's coming. I am starting to be uncool for sure. So what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? So one of the most encouraging things I've seen happen or that we've all seen happen over the last few years is the rise in the number of women in board seats and in C-suite leadership. Uh, Speaking generally, women do have different tendencies in terms of how they navigate risk and business decisions. And Different exp- and have different experiences coming up the ranks or in running businesses that really can help um, contribute in conversations on this topic at the board and the C-suite. And so I think the more women can get themselves into positions of influence within companies and boards, the better off society will be. And, and again, even if it's just because of increased diversity of thought, right, taking place. But um, it isn't just making it into those ranks. I think uh, it's really about women women feeling empowered enough to truly make a difference and using their voice. So I, I'm sure that'll continue to progress. And I think the momentum is clearly there right now um, for that to happen. We certainly hope so. No, I was going to say, I mean, I think, I think uh, a lot more to come on that, but uh, you know, beyond just the gender question, I just think it goes to the, the greater question of diversity, you know, again, yeah. beyond gender, even to just other groups making their way to, to leadership is going to be impactful on this topic. Yeah, and I've to to this whole theme that we've had during this whole conversation, I've been seeing a lot more discussion lately about promoting well-being overall and diversity of abilities and things like that and in incorporating those aspects of diversity into the conversation and into decision-making roles as well. So 
um, hopefully we will continue to gather more and more perspectives so that all of our decisions can be better and we can all lead better lives in the end. Totally. Well, thank you, Laura, for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And we would love if you would rate us while you're there.